Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan starts a new series called That's Weird, Strange Stories of the Bible. This week, the sermon was titled Demon-Possessed Pigs, and the scripture comes from Matthew 8, 28 through 34. Uh, our scripture today comes from Matthew 8, 28 through 34. I'm going to mess up that first word there. I've practiced it many times, but when I do that, I'll mess it up. So when he came to the other side, to the region of Gadarens, two men possessed by demons came out of the tombs and met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. He said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine, and suddenly the whole herd stampeded down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. (laughs) You guys are all... This is uplifting, isn't it? All right. Uh, (laughs) The swine herds ran off, and going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the men possessed by demons. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So we are, um, we have a two-part series we start today, so this week and next week. And then the following week is the first Sunday in October already. Uh, And that's World Communion Sunday, and so we're working on uh, a joint worship service with our Well of Hope friends uh, across the building uh, for that Sunday. And then we only have a couple Sundays after that left uh, for before Caressa arrives, and so we're going to be gearing up for that come October. We're going to talk about what's weird in the Bible these next two weeks. Uh, strange stories that we often don't really want to talk about or don't know how to talk about, how to deal with it. Uh, And so there's a ton of stories, actually, that are weird in the Bible, if you don't know. Uh, So it's kind of hard to pick a couple out. Uh, And this one, you know, I started to realize this story with the demon-possessed pigs. I guess it didn't seem uh, so odd to me or strange because it's just one of those Jesus stories that has stuck with me for a long time. But then I started to realize, well, if you're reading the Gospels for the first time and you see this happen, you're just kind of like, what was that about? Um, And there's a lot of question marks that come at the end of this story rather than answers, right? So these pigs that got the demons put into them it comes from Matthew and there's a certain style to this gospel of Matthew there's a certain style that he a lot of of the other gospels have these tiny little details that get put into the story he kind of pushes those tiny details away to make a broader single point but he also likes to add in other things that aren't in the other gospels so for example uh, Matthew adds, uh, in, in this story, he adds two demons where the other Gospels only have one demon. And then Matthew speaks of two, uh, two blind men that are being healed by Jesus while other Gospels only have one. And then he also 
in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday, he rides both a donkey and a colt in his story rather than just a donkey. Uh, So he's doing something here, and the point of adding these extra things in there is he's trying to make a, a more profound point about the healing and teachings of Jesus. He does it for the effect that, that Jesus is the teacher and healer that no one else can surpass. So he's taking away the basics for this broader point. He's convincing, it's a story displaying the power of Jesus, convincing people of who Jesus is. That's what we most often use the story for, is like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus, the demons even hear Jesus' commands. So oftentimes, this story is used to just make that simple point. But today I want to talk a little bit more about maybe a little other angle that we could come at this. So I think this story tells a bit more in its context for its original audience and for us today. But let's talk about the pigs for a second. I I could tell we have some animal lovers in here because when we (laughs) read that they fell off the cliff, everybody's like, oh. Uh, (laughs) And it's funny because more and more people are having pet pigs. Have you seen any of those? videos online that the little mini pigs and stuff they're finding out more and more pigs are almost smarter than even dogs so they're equivalent to that the problem is I really like bacon um (laughs) and (laughs) that's hard to shake but the pigs so we have all these questions when the pigs go off of the cliff and everything we maybe have these questions about the ethics of the Uh, and implications of destroying a random person's large herd. Imagine if you were the person that had the herd of pigs, and one day you're sitting there and Jesus comes by, and uh, these two crazy guys from the town are coming out, and all of a sudden your pigs just run off the cliff, and you're sitting there like, are you going to pay for that, Jesus? Like, So there's that question, there's the question of, why would Jesus want to kill animals in favor of getting rid of the demons? Couldn't he just you know, exercise the demons out of the, uh, the men. So there's a lot of these questions, but really to get down to it, to think about the story and why the point is made that it went into a herd of swine is because to the Jewish people, uh, unclean pigs were a natural place for unclean spirits. And so that was the only place for those unclean spirits to go were the unclean pigs nearby. So these men were terrorizing the community. They were in need of healing and nothing the townspeople could do would help. Formerly, Jesus has healed by words in the gospel. Now, in this story, he's healing by a deed, by doing something for these two men and for this town. The implication is that if the disciples are faithful, they may be able to do this too. Everything Jesus is doing, he says, you may also do this with my spirit in you. This is part of his discipleship with the disciples. Matthew's recounting of this miracle uh, condenses Mark's account in order to focus on this attention of Jesus, emphasize his authority, and underscore his teaching of discipleship. Now, at the end of the scripture, it said the townspeople asked Jesus to leave, essentially, right? Uh, So they kind of misinterpreted Jesus' actions. They perhaps viewed him as some magician, that they didn't understand, that they were scared of. Uh, Like the demons begging to go into the pigs, the people of the town also begged Jesus to leave. So Jesus gets into the boat, 
and crosses the lake again. And the people of the city, when told the results of this confrontation, understand such power and, f- and fear rather than embrace it. So they hear about this story and they fear Jesus and the whole situation rather than embracing it or asking questions about it. So they're saying, get out of here. We don't want any of that here in our town. So what does it mean then for Jesus that the powers of evil and death recognize him? I think part of this story is understanding that power knows power, right? Power knows power. Power senses the authority of another power who confronts the power of evil and death without hesitation. The demons, the spiritual forces of evil, know power and sense it in the one who meets them in Jesus. So there's a book written in 1942 called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I mean, many of you have heard of this book, right? Many of you probably read it. Um, this was written... Uh, as kind of like this satirical or a fictional account to get across some important theological issues, primarily those to do with temptation and the resistance to it. And explaining the power of evil, the supernatural forces of it in a way that is different than our basic understanding that we, we take from our own Christian cultural understanding. Evil is both an outside force on us, but is also within us as well. I think sometimes in Christianity, too often, we think of evil as an outside force upon us. Um, And that comes with different traditions, too. If you've ever met somebody who's a Pentecostal or gone to a Pentecostal church, very much about the spiritual forces, right? I had a a co-worker when I was in college, uh, and I've told this story before, but it always strikes me when I think about this topic of demons and evil, and she, one time, while we were working, had just kept talking about, like, you know, Satan's waiting around the corner for me, uh, ready to tempt me and all this stuff. And then even at that time, it started moving some gears in my head, and I was thinking, if we continually make evil outside of ourselves being a force upon us, then we're not realizing our own responsibility within our own evil tendencies within us because if you're waiting, if you're thinking Satan's waiting around the corner just to um, uh, tempt you so that you mess up, then you are living in this fear. You're living in this fear that uh, something's going to make you do something and you start to forget about your own responsibility within it, the things that you can do for yourself, through yourself, inside of yourself to help uh, become more like Christ each and every day. It also becomes kind of like a scapegoat, right? You could say, uh, Satan was working on me overtime with that, sorry, and instead of taking responsibility for your own actions, right? Screw tape letters, though, what it does is it talks about uh, the temptations and also how uh, there's a couple different people to know within the story, there is a senior demon, Screwtape, and he's talking to his nephew, Wormwood, a junior uh, tempter, and the uncle's mentorship pertains to the nephew's responsibility in securing the damnation of a British man only, only known as the patient. So this is like letters back and forth between the two of how to tempt the patient. What comes up in this book a lot is how to trick the patient into thinking they are All they're doing is good, right? It's not tempting them with bad things, but it's tempting them with what they think is good things. 
to be oblivious to the sin and evil that is in their own lives. I think we do that a lot too. We compartmentalize. We have things in our lives that, uh, things and beliefs in our lives that are so contradictory to other parts of our lives that we can't reconcile it together, so we ignore it. Instead, we convince ourselves that nothing is wrong. We have this over here, we have this over here, and we have our church and faith life right here. These don't really touch it. That's what we end up doing. And that's kind of what screw tape and wormwood are trying to get people to do or getting the patient to do in this book. I think one scripture that's going to help us think through some of this and the evil that we have tendencies or temptations towards um, comes from John 3, and it's right after John 3.16. We all memorize John 3.16 so well, right? But I think what comes after it is just equally as important. John 3, 19 through 21, it says, This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and the people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in good. So there's this idea and playfulness with whatever is evil and things we do, we like to keep it in the dark. And not just like hiding it from others, but hiding it from yourself as well. It's like, I know I do those things, but I don't want to think about it, right? I know I act that way or I said those things, but I don't want to think about it. Because when we bring things into the light, it forces us to look at it and it forces us to make a change. And we don't like to make changes. So when we continue to experience the same results in our life again and again, maybe something is wrong, maybe something's not working. If your spouse continues to bring up a wound that you have caused for them, and every time they bring it up and you just roll your eyes, maybe there's a reason that wound continues to fester. Maybe it's because the way you are handling it It's not working. We get into habits in our lives that become normalized behavior for us. Have you ever stepped into somebody else's family? Maybe when you got married to your spouse and you stepped into their family or even even just a social gathering and you started to notice some weird dynamics in the family. I think we've all had that before. Because therapists tell us that families build family systems around idiosyncratic Oh man, why do, I, you know, why do I write these things if I can't pronounce them? <laughs> quirks. Uh, around the quirks <laughs> and even the illnesses of the members who seem most possessed, right? So things that possess you, things that are not being healed within you because you don't want to bring them to the light. We build our whole family system around it. So the recovering alcoholic threatens to do in the whole system that is built around his alcoholism. So if social workers warn that escaping addiction, that sometimes they should not go home again because home is structured around the very habits that will destroy them. If we find a way out of our possession, we can offend all those friends and family that are so devoted to being devoted. Enablers, we often say. Family systems often are built to enable the most unhealthy parts of our families. And what happens then is you need someone who breaks the cycle. You need the cycle breaker, right? 
and they tend not to be very popular in the family because the family is okay and comfortable with how things are functioning. Most oftentimes, the cycle breaker is maybe a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law because they come into the family with fresh eyes. They come in and are able to see things that the family can't see because they've been living with it for so long. We need somebody to break the cycle in order for healing to truly begin. But when you break cycles, you can become the black sheep of the family, right? Now it's like, oh, they're just a troublemaker, or they're the ones that really tick me off, or they make me tense, because they always challenge everything. Healing always hurts, though, and it hurts not only to the most obvious victim. We're struck again by how much humans cling to what, we, what can only harm us. We like to cling to things that do harm us. It's comforting to us almost in some way. When we create bad habits in our lives, uh, it can become comforting because you know what's going to happen, even if it doesn't work. You know what's going to happen. We talked about the cycle of if you keep uh, doing something again and again, the same result happens. That's a bit comforting because you can predict what's going to happen, even if it's bad. You know what's going to happen. I'm struck by how much we cling to what is harming the people we love and then struck again by how much the power of Christ can heal because I think that's what this story is really about. It's about the power of Christ that can heal and our responsibility in it as well. Sometimes it's not just the power of habit or resistance to change. Sometimes we're kept in the thrall of our own demons by the realization that healing demands too much effort or too much sacrifice. I'm sure all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, there's been things in our lives, relationships, broken relationships, that we look back and we're like, could have done more about that. But I didn't want to. Or I couldn't see it for what it was. Healing means we need to confront what has been hidden in the darkness of our own souls. And in response, we need to make a change. Surprisingly, though, in our passage, it's not finally the efforts of the demons that is portrayed or even demanded. It is the word, the command of Jesus that brings healing. He says, go, and the demons go. The work demanded is really not a work at all, but it's a gift of trust. It's trusting in God that when we work towards wholeness, when we work towards healing, that God's going to do God's part in that as well. That there is power in Jesus' words, there's power in Jesus' ministry, there's power uh, from Jesus within us to heal as well. So like the demons of Jesus' time, uh, and maybe the townspeople, we'll get to them a little bit later, but church leaders in our time, we often rush to defend an institution against the threat of publicity, and oddly enough, against the threat of justice and healing. We just wish it to go all away. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I talked about the movie stories we tell, we talked about the stories that, oh, it wasn't that one, sorry. Going back again um, to the Jesus Revolution movie and how oftentimes as a Christian institution or a Christian culture, we don't like to say when we're wrong. We don't like to admit and be humble that we maybe did something wrong, we took part in something, and to reconcile for that. 
I think this follows the same thing where our churches, institutions, uh, we want to protect that the most, even if people get hurt. We maybe see this the most, uh, most popular within the Catholic Church in the sexual abuse scandals over the last couple decades, starting to see it in the Southern Baptist Church with their sexual abuse scandals as well. And all you see within these institutions is trying to protect the institution more than the people that were harmed. We don't want to change. We don't want to do the hard work of healing. Jesus often rearranged the world uh, of the people at the time. He would, people would think the world worked one way and he would show that the world works very differently. At least the kingdom of God works very differently. He rearranged it and they protested. Often as we protest because health can be more frightening than sickness and liberation threatens the fragile truce required by every status quo. When you break status quos, even if they're unhealthy status quos, somebody's going to be upset. I've often said in my own life, and I've been open about it, uh, talked about in sermons quite a bit of my own journey, whether it's with my uh, going to therapy for myself, healing from trauma, I've said to my wife many times when I've had to face a difficult thing in my life or my past and learning how to live with it, work with it, uh, I said, sometimes I just wish I could go back to being ignorant about it, right? Ignorance is bliss type of thing. I said, I think I was happier then. And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, and I think that only because you don't see it, you put your blinders on, you don't want to heal, and so you think you're happy, but true freedom comes from confronting the things that need to heal in your life. That's where the true freedom comes. And it hurts, and it's painful, and it takes a while, and eventually you'll get to a place where you feel comfortable in it. But that journey to get there is difficult. When you break these cycles, when you take a look at the status quo and break it even if it's unhealthy, uh, and people get upset, there's a reason why that is. It's because there's this herd mentality we often have. We talk about the herd of the swine, right? And how they all ran off the cliff. There was only two demons. There was only two demons that Jesus cast out. Did they inhabit all of those pigs? Don't think so, maybe just two, but the whole herd, it was a herd mentality, went off the cliff together. Herd mentality is one which individuals are driven by outside forces rather than their inner conviction. A person with herd mentality might be said to be spiritually dead, and inner conviction characterizes the motivation of those who follow Jesus. They affirm their religious identity, by abandoning the security of their comfortable hiding places. And they exercise the faith they have to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, the evil powers of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and they do so empowered by the one who saves. So herd mentality is put onto us from the outside rather than us listening to our inner convictions, having the Holy Spirit within us, listening to that. But oftentimes, we just want to go along with the herd, right? Now, this can also get twisted in different ways as well, but uh, herd mentality, when you just think of it, it's when you go along with things, even most oftentimes, 
people go along with things without even thinking about it, right? I've done that. You've done that. Like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But then when you stop and think about it, you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. This is different than mob mentality, right? That's a little bit different. Uh, but herd mentality is something we all have. Uh, we think about all our different traditions and de- denominations of churches. Uh, for us, it's the Presbyterian way. That's our herd, right? We're going to follow the Presbyterians and what they do. And there's the Baptists, there's Catholics, there's Pentecostals, there's non-denoms. There's, actually, I like to say non-denoms are just Baptists, but... Um, which a lot of their theology and and worship is, but uh, we all have these different herds that we've created, and this is our tribe, this is the way we believe the world is ordered and our theology is right, everybody else is wrong. So in this story, one of the things that strikes me is um, breaking the cycle. Jesus breaks the cycle for these men that have been a, a harm on their community, but yet the townspeople were not very happy about it. They were scared of it. He breaks that cycle. Even, even that cycle felt comfortable to them. They're like, oh, those are the crazy guys from the tombs, right? They're going to come. They're going to harass us a little bit. It scares us. We don't like it. But we know what to expect. And it's broken. And now Jesus becomes that black sheep, the cause of the break, cause of the disruption, now we're looking at the things in our lives that actually need attention and need healing. We don't want to deal with that. We've brought the things that have been in the darkness into the light. So the question today is, demons recognized Jesus' power. Do his disciples and do we? Do we truly believe in the power of Christ? Do we truly believe that the The principalities of evil and death have been defeated. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we could find healing in this place together? Do do we really believe in that? Or do we try to find ways that we want to control it? Do we believe in the power of Christ? I think looking at um, the history of Christianity, it's kind of scattered, right? There's times of immense trust and faith in God. Then there's other times where we hook up our wagon to something that maybe we shouldn't have, and we don't do a great job of trusting. Or we're intoxicated with the idea of power and influence, those little whispers from screw screw tape and wormwood that convince us that we don't have enough of power, we don't have enough of anything, that we need more. The weird story of the demonic pigs can help us think through our own demons in our own lives that need to be cast out. Because all they're doing in our lives is creating chaos like the demon-possessed men did upon their community. So we need to trust in Jesus and the power of Jesus to help to break the cycles of things that possess you in order to heal. Now this is a little bit different way of looking at it because if some traditions, if you read this story, there's this idea of literal demons, literal uh, spiritual forces against us, and so then the focus gets put on that. And I've been in that in my life uh, several different times in ministry and experiences growing up where there have been people that have been obsessed with the idea of demons and possession and things like that. But what I find often, that, that actually kind of fogs our our lenses, so we can't really see 
the point behind it. We can't really see what the demons represent, and that represents the evil in our own lives. There's a whole horror subgenre just about possession, right? There's all kinds of exorcist-type movies, which there's a new exorcist movie coming out. Uh, If you guys want me to do a sermon on that. (laughs) No, uh, because it is... It is something that fascinates people. And we could be fascinated with it. It's fine. I, I'm fascinated with it as well. I couldn't tell you. People can often ask, you know, Pastor, do you think uh, demons are real or angels are real? And uh, a lot of us do take that literally. And sometimes I'm, I like to stand in the place of like, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's spiritual forces beyond our understanding. There's spiritual forces beyond our control. Uh, but I haven't had any significant experiences to say yes or no. I know some friends have. Some friends have told me stories that are very real for them. Do we think it's mental health? Sure, that could be back in the uh, scripture days. But that's not really the point, is it? The point is, what is the things possessing us inside? The bad habits, the evil, the ways in which we break our relationships with others and with God. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships. So will you trust in the power of Jesus to help you break cycles of things that possess you in order to heal this week? Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, May you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.